Well, good morning. So good to see you guys. And um, I think probably one of the biggest pitfalls um, in life is that we seem to never truly be satisfied with life. But when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we are satisfied. And I'm not talking about like spiritual satisfaction. I know it kind of seems like, okay, what are you talking about? But I'm talking about more of spiritual complacency. That when it comes to life, we're kind of in this battle, if you will, I know I, I, I fight this, of what I would say more and better. That, for instance, you know, I would like to make more money and I would like a better job. <laughs> I would like more space in my house, so we need a better house. I need um, a better car. I need more this or better that and all these other things, you know. I mean, I was just complaining this past week that, Five Forks needs more restaurants and better restaurants, okay? Can I get amen on that? Maybe, I don't know. Um, we need some more options. But we kind of have this mentality of we chase the things of this world. I mean, it's only natural for us to want a better job, want to make more money, have a better car, live in a bigger house, all of those things. Um, but at the same time, never being satisfied with the things of this world but when it comes to uh, walking with Jesus and a relationship with Jesus, it's really easy to um, just become complacent, to say, hey, I'm good. You know, I got, I got everything that I need, and I'm okay with being okay. And not that, I mean, we, hopefully you know if you're a Christian that Jesus is ultimately the full satisfaction of things, that the things of this, of this world will never truly satisfy us, but we chase those things and then when it comes to, most, to the most important thing in following Jesus, we just kind of say, okay, I'm, I'm good with where we're at. I'm just kind of still, I settle for it. And so we're in this vicious cycle of being satisfied um, with where we're at with Jesus, but not in this world and just becoming okay with being okay. And so I wanted to start off with really this statement to kind of get the wheels turning a little bit. I'm just like that. Um, I, I need like a thought, like a, kind of a key phrase. Um, and if you've been here, you know that about me. But I want to start off this morning by making this statement. Complacency in your growth with Christ is never, ever, ever a good place to be. So whenever you maybe come to this spot in your walk with God to say, hey, I'm good. I've kind of arrived. I don't need to go any further. That is not a good place to be. It's so much so that probably for a dramatic effect, I put never, ever, ever, okay, in that because this is not good. It's not in a healthy state of being. That it is in our walk with Jesus, we can all be improving. We can all be taking steps, doing something, being someone, recognizing faults and weaknesses to say, hey, I can be better in this. Uh, Matt Chandler, who is... Uh, he's a pastor at, out in Texas at a church called the Village Church. He has written a lot of books, done a lot of Bible studies, partnership with Lifeway and some other curriculum for small groups. Um, he has a book called To Live um, is Christ, To Die is Gain. And this is what he put. It'll be on the screen, this quote. He says this, Never be satisfied with where you are in the area of spiritual growth. Cultivate an instability for more of God. By examining your weaknesses, beholding the perfection of Christ, so elevating Christ and his example, and finding the good examples of strengths you want to develop. And so none of us are perfect. Uh, I know I'm not perfect, and I know some of you, you're not perfect. Um, 
You know, that's a joke. Okay, y'all can laugh later. You're like, man, judgmental already this morning. But think about it. We, none of us have arrived to this state of perfection that there's always something for us to improve upon. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been studying the book of Philippians. Now, we know it as a book. It's one of the books of the Bible, more specifically a book in the Old Testament. We know it as a book, but it really is a letter. And it's written by this guy named Paul, who was a Christian killer, had an encounter with Jesus, totally changed his life, and he decided to commit his entire life to following Jesus and allowing other people to do the same. And so we see that he's written the majority of the New Testament, which are letters, and a lot of them are letters that he wrote while he was in a jail cell because of his faith and following of Jesus and Philippians is one of those letters. It's written to the church of Philippi. Uh, Philippi was a metropolitan city, hustle and bustle. Nobody um, knew Jesus there. They knew of God and God's law. And so Philip, uh, or I'm sorry, Paul goes to um, Philippians and, and creates this incredible church. He plants it and he writes this letter from a Roman jail cell to them being the book of Philippians. And what we're going to see this morning as we've been walking through this, we're actually on our eighth week, we're going to see two things if you're a note taker, and I hope you are, two major themes in this that he really points out that a mature Christian, one, is never satisfied, and two, a mature Christian is moving forward. So we're going to unpack that this morning. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Philippians. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 3, starting in verse 12. It will also be in the screens, or you can follow along on the Bible app or our um, church app. Great resource. But let's read this together, what Paul is writing and reminding the church of Philippi. He says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already uh, perfect. Now, let me preface this. I didn't do a good job of this in the first service. And so um, he's referring to what he's already talked about, really with this theme of calling out the believer, saying we should wor- uh, walk in a manner worthy uh, of the gospel, all right? That is a life that reflects Jesus. And so he's saying, hey, not that I've already attained this. I- I'm not perfect in this, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will also reveal that to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Verse 17, he continues, Brothers, join in imitating me. That is a bold statement. And if you look at the original language, it's not from a place of uh, being arrogant where Paul's like, hey, I have it all figured out. Follow me. But he's challenging because his desire, his passion, his maturity is saying, hey, I'm, I'm going after Jesus. I'm sold out. I'm all in. So follow me. Imitate me. And he says, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Then he says this. He, he's just really frank. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears. He's brokenhearted. He says, some people walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. 
Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. They're, they're trying to find satisfaction in earthly gain. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to um, subject all things to himself. Man, this is a great passage. So let's walk through this. And as I said before we read, one of the, the things that we see that a ma mature Christian does is that you're never satisfied. Now, once again, to kind of turn this on its head, we're not talking about spiritual satisfaction because we should find satisfaction in Jesus. But what Paul is saying and what he's challenging the church here is never become complacent in your walk with Christ. Never be like, hey, I'm fully satisfied right now. I'm good to go. I don't, I don't have any growth. I don't have any weaknesses. I don't need to, to do anything differently in my walk with Jesus. He's saying, no, don't have that. Never be satisfied in those things. Always thirst. Always be hungry. He says, I, not that I've already attained this. I'm not perfect. He says, I haven't obtained this. I mean, think about this. It almost seems to be far-fetched. You have a guy who's planting churches in the, you know, in the early um, history of the church. He's planting these churches, going places where he's persecuted. He's in jail. If there's anybody that I would say has arrived, it's him. But in the chapter before, we saw he laid out a spiritual resume and pretty much said, if anybody's going to brag, it could be me, but I'm not going to be because I'm going to humble myself because I'm not where I need to be in my walk with Jesus. He says, I'm not perfect. I press on to make it my own. And so I think here it gives some insight, at least from my experience, what does it mean that if we're never going to be satisfied, what are some things that you and I can practically do in our relationship with God to never reach that point of arrogance and complacency? I think one, I think we need to have a healthy way uh, in our life to evaluate and take ownership of our faith. That obviously Paul has evaluated where he is and says, I haven't obtained it. I'm not perfect. And I think it's totally healthy for you and I every day as we're trying to walk with God and try to wrestle through and fight sin and the desires and the temptation of our world to evaluate where are we in our walk with um, Christ. He writes this in 2 Corinthians to the church in Corinth. Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith and test yourselves. I mean, think about that. I mean, that's a, that's a good practical statement. Evaluate where you're at. And I think as mature Christians, we really have to ask these two questions regularly. One, am I where I need to be? Think about that. In your relationship with God, I think it's a good, transparent, um, spiritual inventory kind of question. Are you where you need to be in your walk with God? So when you wake up, ask that question. When you go to bed, ask that question. When you're at work, ask that question. When you're thinking about it, ask that question. I have to ask that question um, of myself. Am I at where I need to be in my walk with God? If I'm maturing, and I think we would say a mature Christian evaluates your life and says, okay, let's look at these things. So for instance, how's your reading of God's word? Like, are you reading God's word? Are you in the Bible? Are you doing some type of Bible study, devotion? 
And when I say devotion, I'm not saying you read or listened to a podcast or a YouTube thing. Those things are good and supplemental. But I'm saying have your eyes physically laid um, onto the words of Scripture and said, hey, okay, this is where I'm at. You have to evaluate those things. God didn't just give this as a historical document to be like, oh, that's some good history. I mean, Scripture says it's living and active. And so it, we should look at it and evaluate our lives Am I at where I need to be in my reading? What about your prayer life? Are you talking to God? And not like God's a genie in a bottle where you just go to him when you're like, God, I really need something. I'm struggling at work. I need some more money in my job. It's not paying the bills. Or I need this, this, and this. I'm saying like just go and just to thank God for being God. And sure, ask him things, but also confess sin. Acknowledge weaknesses in your life. Have you gotten to a place where you're doing that regularly? That's a great evaluation tool of your maturity. Because I would say immature Christians never pray. And if they do, it's kind of like a Hail Mary prayer. God, help me right here. I'm about to go into this interview. I need your help. <laughs> you know, uh, I've said this before. I remember when I was in high school, my math teacher had this uh, huge sign. And it said, as long as there's algebra in school, there'll be prayer in school. I'm like, amen to that. Okay. I'm, I'm praying through this math test right now. I'm like, I did not study. Please God, let me remember these formulas. Uh, it didn't help because I never studied. Okay. So, but anyway, it's like, think about it. Is that your prayer life? Evaluate. If we're going to mature and, and walk with God in that, we need to pray through those things. What about serving? Think of mature Christian. A mark of a mature Christian is that you serve in some kind of capacity. I think if you, just being real, if you're like, mm, I'm not going to serve, I think you're immature as a Christian. I think mature Christians serve. They say, hey, this is where I'm growing. I want people, not that you've arrived, but you're like, hey, I want other people to experience this relationship with God that I have, so I'm going to step up and I'm going to serve. That doesn't mean you're perfect and that you have to know all the Bible and you're up in kids and you're like, you know, I'm going to, let me quote all of Romans 8, 9, and 10 and King James Version. You know, we're not looking for that, but just willing to say, God's working in me, and I want, I want him to work in other people, so let me invest and serve. What about giving? Where are you at in your giving? Now, I know this is like kind of the, the awkward subject, like the taboo in the church. It's like, oh, every time I go to church, you know, when I'm, you know, you invite a friend, and they haven't been in church in a long time. You're like, please, God, do not talk about the money, you know? But think about it. That's an that's act of obedience. Are you giving? That's an act of maturity, a sign of maturity. So we have to be every day evaluating and saying, where am I in the spectrum of maturity? Am I walking through those things? And we don't need to compare ourselves to other people. We need to compare ourselves to what God calls us to do. That's the standard. Not what, you know, Joe Bible over here and what he's doing. It's like, what is God calling me to do? What does Scripture say to be faithful? How I should walk and mature in this. So where, am, I, am I at where I need to be? And the second question is, what's the goal? What's the goal of our relationship with um, God? I love what Paul says. I mean, he talks about, I press on toward the goal. And he says the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, really talking about eternity in heaven. He sets a goal. Now, I think so often uh, we become complacent because we have a misunderstanding of what the goal is. What is the point of the Christian life? And I think sometimes we're like, the goal of the Christian life is good church attendance. And let me memorize 
that, um, that Hillsong song, that Elevation Church song, uh, and that Passion song, and I'm good to go. I know all the words to that first song. I'm good, you know? And the goal as believers is what? To be like Jesus, right? Our goal is to be more like Jesus. I'm not like Jesus. You're not like Jesus. And so we should be striving for that goal, as Paul is saying, press on to that goal. Because we, we will never attain that, but it's something to shoot for and to look after and to do that. And, I, and the other thing that I see in here, as he's evaluating, Paul's taking ownership. His faith is his faith. He's saying, okay, I need to evaluate me. I think it's really easy to evaluate everybody else and be like, sinner, <laughs> we know they don't give, right? They don't serve. No, he's saying, I haven't obtained it. I'm going to challenge you with this, but I'm going to look at myself and I'm going to evaluate and I'm going to take ownership. And he even says, I press on to make it my own. Not that he's going to distort and kind of what I would say, I think so often in our culture, we kind of have a faith system that's like a vending machine God. Like, I really like this about God. I like this about God. I don't like that. And we just kind of pick and choose. That's not what he's doing here. What, he, what Paul is saying, he's like, I'm taking it personal. This is my faith. It's not some corporate thing that I go to church and some Southern Baptist Bible Belt thing. I'm going to make it my own, and I'm going to desire this, and it's going to drive me towards this goal. I don't know how many of you like sports, um, a.k.a. you're a Christian, but um, I like sports, and um, I love all kinds of sports, especially right now. I don't know if you like this. I'm an Olympic junkie right now. Now the Olympics started, man, I caught myself yesterday, no joke. I was watching like women's three-on-three basketball okay? I didn't even know. Is that new this year? I guess it is, you know? But I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, okay. And then, like, after that, it was, like, women's polo, water polo. And my boys, I have three boys, and they're like, what, what are you watching, Dad? I'm like, it's water polo. It's so cool. They're, like, treading water. They're not touching the ground right there. And they're like, you've lost it, Dad, all right? Like, and so I love that, but I, I love sports. But this past week, um, my kids love basketball, they love basketball. Um, our youngest son, Noah, he's obsessed with LeBron James. We give him a hard time. We're like, you know Michael Jordan's the GOAT, right? And he's like, no, he's not. No, he's not uh, type thing. And so we just have this kind of love-hate with it. But um, our middle son, his favorite basketball player is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who plays for the Bucks. Now, Giannis, you spell it G-I-A-N-N-I-S because he's from Greece, all right? So the G is like a Y, Giannis, whatever. It's kind of like Euro, or some of you say gyro, which that's offensive. Okay, don't say that. Can I get a lamb gyro? I'm like, oh, Lord, it's a Euro, okay? But anyway, we'll have that debate later. But his name is Giannis Antetokounmpo. Crazy story. He didn't start playing basketball to the age of 13. His parents are Nigerian, and he migrated to Greece, started playing, really loved uh, the game. And um, I want to show you this before and after uh, picture of him. All right. So the first one in the green jersey is his rookie year. And he averaged six and a half points his rookie season. Now, I think this is crazy. I'm going to take it for truth. Maybe it's a lie. I don't know. I read on the internet, so I know it's true. But, um, but his rook from his rookie year till now, he's played for like six or seven years in the league, maybe, maybe eight years now. He has grown seven inches taller. Like, who has a growth spurt? Like, he's 26. So I'm like, how do you have a growth spurt in your 20s? I'm still praying that God gives me a growth spurt in my, in my 30s, okay? I'm like, please, God, let me grow seven inches, right? 
it's not going to happen, all right? But, um, but he grew seven inches during his time. And as you can see, not that he was scrawny before, but he, man, he's like worked his tail off. And he's just, he's just buff. I mean, he's not my size yet. Still has some work to go. But, but I mean, he's working. And this is what I love, is that he came into the league and um, was really mentored by some men. And he was really rough. I mean, he's just not a great player. But if you know anything about basketball in the last couple of years, so they just won the, the final championship in game six. Um, his team, the Bucks, the, I, I can't remember the exact score, but I want to say their team, that final game, um, had like 104, 105, maybe 107 points. He had 50 of them. All right? He had half the team's points, was just dominating. And uh, my son, our middle son, loves him. Loves him, loves him. I mean, to the point where, like, some of my son's mannerisms are like him. I'm like, okay, this is creepy uh, type thing. But we were watching the game, and through it, they were just kind of talking about his hard work. And, uh, man, he just seems like a great guy. You know, some of you, you have some of these athletes that just get in trouble all the time. They ruin their career by stupid decisions. They care about money. And it seems like he's not like that. I mean, maybe he is. But he's not like that. So much so, this was funny. This past week, um, the day after they won the championship, he went through uh, the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. I don't know if you saw this. It went viral, okay? He went through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru holding his NBA MVP trophy and the NBA Finals trophy. He pulls up, and, you know, they're like, hey, welcome to Chick-fil-A. My pleasure. All right. And, the, and he's on Instagram Live. And he's like, hey, is it okay if I video? And she's like, sure. He's like, okay, good. 152,000 people are watching right now. She's like, oh. She had no idea who he was. Or at least it seems like that. And then he orders 50 chicken minis, all right, it, which is so crazy. Uh, but anyway, uh, I'm getting on a tangent here. But he, <laughs> I'm a pastor. I'm supposed to do that, right? So here's the point. He, man, he's worked his tail off. And like any NBA player, any athlete, man, there's a goal. His goal was to win the NBA final championship. And he's going to do whatever it took to get to that point. Milwaukee, historically, has not been a great team. They have a, that team has not won a championship in 50 years. But he was going to work, and he was determined, and he even made the promise, I'm going to bring a championship to Milwaukee. And so he, he's fighting, he's working his tail off, he sees the goal, and he's going to do whatever it took to get to that goal. And think about that. I wish we had that same passion with Jesus. To say, here's the goal out there, to be like Jesus, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to, it, for my family, for my community, for my church. I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach that goal. But too often we say, huh. Oh, I'm good. I'm settling. I'm, I'm complacent with where I'm at. And like I said, that's a dangerous, dangerous place um, to land. Now, let me kind of go through this because I've shared too much about Giannis, you know. So the second thing that I love here is not only is Paul saying evaluate and really take ownership, but he says forget the past. He says, the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Now, I don't think Paul and all of my, like, looking at different commentaries, I don't think Paul's, like, saying, hey, those spiritual markers, the milestones, the, the big things, the things that are, like, defining of your faith, he's not saying forget about those. But what he's saying is those things in the past that might be holding you back, don't let them hold you back anymore. Because if you think about it, our past can paralyze us take us hostage, and really keep us from um, what God wants to do for us in the future. 
So, so many times I've been guilty of this. I've heard many of you say this. I'm just never going to be like that. I have, I've done these mistakes. I have these failures. Or I've been burned by the church. Like, I have kind of this stigma in the past. Or let's make it personal. I just can't forgive that person. I just can't let it go. I'm struggling with loving that person. I don't want to give them a chance. They hurt me. And all of those things creep up and they hold us hostage from where God wants to take us. So we're kind of in this holding pattern. We're really enslaved in the past, or we can be. And God wants to take us from point A to point B, and we're holding on and saying, no, God, I'm still here. And Paul's saying, no, press on toward the goal. Look, strain. I mean, that's taking some work. You're straining towards what's ahead. So forget about the things in the past. Okay, they happened. You can't redo them. You can't reverse time. It happened. Now use those to be a motivating factor to say, okay, how can I glorify Jesus? How can I move and, and follow God with those things? So many people say, I just can't get over it. You know, I was burned in church. My parents did this and, you know, taught me one thing and did this. Or this church was ugly to me, whatever the case may be. Or I was hurt this way by a friend who said they were a Christian. Move past that. I know that's hard. I'm not saying that's easy. But God has a plan of redemption. He wants to use you to do amazing, amazing things. He wants to and start that in your life and not let it just hang on there. If that happens individually, that happens as a church. We've seen churches that have a chokehold on the past that say, this is how we've always done it. It worked 20 years ago and needs to work now. And what has ended up happening, not to be insensitive, but many of those churches die because they let the past define them. They don't say, God has a better plan for us um, in the future. It holds us back. So I said, mature Christian is never satisfied with where they're at in their walk with God. The second thing is a mature Christian is moving forward. Every single one of us should be taking steps forward in our walk with Christ. Now, those steps are different sizes. Some of us are taking baby steps. Some of us are taking ginormous steps. But we should all be taking steps. If the gospel is going to move forward through us, the gospel must be moving forward within us. And as it's working in us, if we want other people's lives to be radically changed, we have to be taking steps. We can't say, and Paul's not saying this, I'm good. This is right where I need to be. I'm not changing. I'm complacent. I'm content right here. I have no growth. That's dangerous. We should be taking steps. There's always something for us to improve. There's always a weakness that, that can become a strength. All those different things need to be going. We can't just stay still. We can't just be apathetic to the work of God. We all have a, a part to play in this story. Um, I love this. In 1 Timothy, Timothy says this, Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Now, the heart behind this passage is not that you do things in your walk with Jesus to brag and for other people to see in the sense of like, yeah, I accomplished that. But in a sense that they see what God is working in you and you're moving forward, taking steps, not in complacency for other people to say, man, I want that life. There's something different about him or her. 
that they're, we're straining towards that goal to be like Jesus, that we should be taking steps in our home. You and I should be taking steps in this place, in our church. We should be taking steps in our jobs and in our communities to show people like Jesus. And I'm just gonna be really frank. I don't do this a lot, but I think us as guys need this. Guys in the room, it's gonna start with us. That as men, we see in scripture that the church and the gospel moving forward is only gonna go as far as we are willing to take it. And as guys, we need to take steps in our home and in our jobs and in this place and step up and start to serve and to lead our families in devotion and all these different things to say, hey, this means, this is a priority for me. We take steps in other, other aspects. We make goals in other areas of our life. And Paul is saying, hey, strain forward that. Don't be like the people that, that come that are enemies of the cross. Don't be an enemy of the cross but be one that sees our citizenship is in heaven, that we await a savior, the Lord Jesus, who's gonna transform our lowly body into a glorious body like his. And that as he's doing that, let us, not to discount the ladies in the room, but men, let it start with us. Let me step on your toes a little bit. Begin to lead. Step up and serve in some kind of capacity. And say, here's the goal. I'm tired of being passive. I'm tired of my wife this leading the spiritual aspects of all the home and say, I don't know all the details and that's okay. Let us come alongside of you and help you with that. But you being willing to say, God, just take it all. I'm not satisfied with where I'm at and there's some things that need to improve. Where are you in your walk with God? Let's pray together before we continue and close out in worship. God, we all can be better in our walk with you. Whether you're a pastor of a church whether you're a businessman or stay-home mom, a student, a kid, we all have work to do to be more like your son, Jesus. And Father, please help us to never get to the place where we feel like we've just arrived in our walk with you. God, I pray for great courage and really vulnerability that even in this moment and the days ahead that we ask ourselves, am I where I need to be? Am I reading scripture where I need to be? Am I serving? Am I praying? Am I giving? Am I sharing with people that are close to me that need Jesus, but I'm just too afraid to really evaluate and say, God, let me step aside. Just take it all. Take the things of this world that I'm finding my satisfaction in. And while those things are great, and we're so thankful that you have blessed us with those things and we've worked hard, but ultimately you have given us those things, let us be driven by our relationship and intimacy with you instead. And so let us just have a, really a spiritual inventory of where am I with you? And for the person that's here this morning that has never stepped into a relationship and said, I'll give it all to you, God. Father, I pray that today's the day they take that step. For some of us, a step is towards baptism. For some of us, a step into serving, a step into leading in our home, a step into having that conversation at work or with a neighbor. Let us be people that take those steps and not just say, hey, I'm good with where I'm at. God, convict us in this moment. And as we worship you, let it be true of our hearts to call out to you and say, just take it, God. Take it. It's in your son's name we pray.
Amen.